0: Thank you. Tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. one 888 914 9149 As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's one 888 914 9149 This is, in fact, a radio show called
1: Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio.
0: Boy, oh boy, it's going to be complicated today. Spent a long time on the phone with Rabbi Lozovsky. He's my new rabbi. And uh, don't confuse with Rabbi Levkovitz. He's a good scholar, though, and he's young. And he really, Rabbi Lozovsky, he, he knows his stuff. So I'm very blessed in that. But he, I, it's, this is a complicated topic. The, the the purification, the feast of the purification of the Blessed Mother, and the presentation of the Lord. But I'm wasting time by chattering away, so we'll start with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his presence, in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, uh, do thou, rebuke him, we pray, (laughs) do thou prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls, amen, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You'd think I'd remember these prayers, but at any rate, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Today... Today is the Candelaria, the Feast of Candlemas, the day of the blessing of candles, because the light of Christ, the light of the Messiah appeared in the temple today. That's the idea. Okay, let us start with first things first. This is not the Feast of the Circumcision. That was eight days after the birth of Jesus. That was was January the 1st. This is the feast, we're celebrating two feasts, and one is a little challenging for us who believe in the Immaculate Conception, which I most certainly do. One is the purification of the Blessed Mother, and the other is the the presentation of the Lord, or in Hebrew that's called Pirion Haben, the buying back of the Son. This is really complicated, and oh good grief. Uh, computer number two on which I did some, some actual research here.
1: Good grief.
0: Hey, Amen. This is going to be difficult. Um, this is part of the law of Moses that the, the every firstborn male that, that, uh, comes from the womb unless he is deformed. Uh, um, or unless he is um, from the tribe of Levi, must be brought back from the Lord. Why? Because God uh, um, uh, struck the firstborn in Egypt and spared the firstborn of Israel, but the firstborn, therefore, belonged to him. And then when Israel rejected the law by profaning themselves in the desert with the golden calf the tribe of levi rose up to defend the honor of the lord and up until that point it seems that the entire nation of israel was a priestly nation that they were they were uh, that that every head of a household was a priest every every father of a family well when the great majority of Israel uh, um, profaned themselves with a golden calf. They lost that privilege. And since Levi, the tribe of Levi, stepped up, they were exempt. So you don't buy back the firstborn of the tribe of Levi. But this firstborn purchase refers uh, or includes all, all animals, all domestic animals and all Children, firstborn children. So, you if you don't buy back your if you you know a mule if you have a is it a, yeah, I think it's a mule, mule. I get confused. Yes, mules. If if a mule gives birth to a baby mule, you have to make an offering in the temple or make an offering. It doesn't have to happen in the temple. And this is important. It doesn't have to happen in the temple. Um, if not, you're to break its neck. And the question is not asked about children. You don't break the necks of the children, but you must buy them back. Now, this can be done anywhere. It doesn't have to be done in the temple. What seems to be going on here is that a child is normally bought back. Um, and oh, oh, well, another little detail: the purification. I think happens the purification of a woman after childbirth uh happens 40 days after, after the birth of a child, and that seems rather, well, rather chauvinistic that a woman is considered unclean. Believe me, it's not. A woman is given 40 days where no one can bother her. She's unclean. Don't go near her. You see, uncleanness had to do also with spiritual power. For instance, the the Song of Solomon was considered unclean, thus was put in the text of Scripture. This has nothing to do with hygienic cleanliness or neatness or anything like that. It has to do with spiritual power more than anything. When something is unclean, it's, 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 it's taboo. And this gave mother forty days to bond with her child. Forty days in which she did not have to did not have to fulfill any of her religious obligations. Forty days, and I would think I should have asked Rabbi Lazowski this: forty days in which she could not cook because she was unclean. Uh, she was off the hook for forty days, and this so it, it was a blessing. But after forty days. Uh, she would offer a sacrifice for purification. And it had to be, uh, now this is the part that's going to be a little odd for us who are believing Catholics. She offered a, a, a sin offering and an atonement, or a sin offering and a, oh, it's a peace offering. Which offering was it? The offering of purification would be a lamb and then a turtle dove for a sin offering. And if you were poor, it was two turtledoes. And according to Rabbi Lezowski, it had to be the actual birds. However, the normal thing for a son was not birds. It was money, the price of the sacrifice. Uh, and this would have been done in uh, the treasury where there were these trumpets, the shofarim. Uh, that they were called that because they resembled large trumpets. They were funnel-shaped, and you know you put your money in there uh, for different offerings. Now, this could be done at any place. Uh, uh, didn't have to be in the temple. You just find a guy who was a Kohen, uh, K-O-H-E-N or C-O-H-E-N who was an Israelite priest, and you gave him the prescribed money. I think it was five shekels, five silver shekels. And Orthodox Jews still do this. They'll find somebody whose last name is Cohen and give him give some money. Um, it's, it's a custom that has remained alive uh, from the temple order in, in Judaism. Now, that said, it would have to have been done by Joseph. The purification, this is a feast of the Blessed Mother. And she didn't need purification, but like her divine son, when John said, I should be, John the Baptist said, I should be baptizing you, Jesus said, let us fulfill the law. Our blessed mother didn't need to be atoned or purified, but she, like her divine son, submitted to the law out of love for us. That said, Joseph would have been the one who presented Jesus in the temple, not the blessed mother. This, in a sense, is a feast of St. Joseph, who's a good friend of ours here at Relevant Radio. This is a feast of Joseph, in which Joseph did his foster fatherly duty, stood in for God the Father, and bought back Jesus uh, with five pieces of silver. That's significant. There's pieces of silver mentioned elsewhere, 30 pieces of silver which betrayed Jesus, and I think I, I, I don't know the, the spirit. I haven't. I just noticed that today, so I haven't really pondered the spiritual meaning of this. But uh, will, but th- this this whole feast of the presentation, I think, really ties us to some very deep symbolism. It isn't just that the that Jesus appeared in the temple. That certainly happened, but more than that, this this idea of of redemption that to redeem means literally to buy back. That's what the Latin word means. And it is a translation of a Greek word, which is a translation of a Hebrew word, all of which mean to pay, pay something to get something back. And the question is, uh, uh, that the, the, if I am reading correctly, you give the money to the, uh, the Levitical priest. And then you, um, There are questions asked. Do you prefer the money or the child? And, of course, you say the child. I think that's kind of interesting that that this is done. Uh, The father brought the child to the priest, and the mother could attend if it was outside the court of men. Uh, A woman couldn't go inside the court of men. They would have gone to the temple, offered the sacrifice for the purification of the blessed mother, and then they would have found somebody named Cohen. And the place to find a guy named Cohen would have been in the inner courts of the temple. And and Joseph could have gone into the court of men with the child Jesus, with baby Jesus, our Lord. But our Blessed Mother could not have. She could have looked over the, the uh, gone up on a balcony and looked over the balcony and seen what was going on. But it didn't have to happen. So I, I, I picture it happening in, in the inner court of the temple, that Jesus is brought to a priest in the inner court of the temple. Maybe it happened that way, maybe it didn't. But nonetheless, it was Joseph who did it. Joseph held the child, Jesus, and five silver shekels and gave them to a priest in the temple, and somewhere in the temple. And um, the priest asked him, do you want the money or do you want the child? Joseph said, I want the child. And thus, our salvation was first bought and paid for by Joseph isn't that something I mean of course Jesus paid for our salvation he's our Savior he paid with his own life's blood but the down payment was put down by Saint Joseph in a certain sense he bought back our Savior from from the Father uh, the fatherhood of God the fatherhood of Joseph, uh, this is a breathtaking moment in our in our history as believers, and we never think of it. This is a big feast. Um, Joseph was a righteous man. The scripture says he was a tzaddik, and he loved Jesus. And he said when he was asked, "Do you want do you want the money or the child?" He said, "I want the child," and he raised that boy. So I I think that's just a very very beautiful beautiful thing. Let's see here. Um, <clears throat> All right, let me let me let me go to the second reading, um, which is from the letter of the Hebrews. <sighs> Children share in blood and flesh. Jesus likewise shared in them. Who has the power of death? That is the devil. And uh, uh, surely God did not help angels, but rather the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every way. You know, that people have asked me, uh, they're kind of startled when I, I, I remind them of the passage in Scripture that says, we shall judge the angels. And by judge there, it doesn't mean condemn or acquit. It means to give them counsel. The, dead, the, the angels in heaven will ask us our advice. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son he gave the angels the chance to accept the incarnation of Christ, we believe. But it's hard to understand how very much God loves us. And and the Father, you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine, and um, we were talking about the Father, that so few of us really, really come to a relationship with the fatherhood of God. And it's even harder in these times when people uh, so are so opposed to fatherhood. But God chose to be called father. That's what Jesus called him because he experienced him as father. Why did Jesus experience him as father? Because fatherhood is always adoptive in the ancient world. The Romans would put a child on the floor in front of its father. And if there's no question that this was genetically the child of this man, if you looked at the child and walked away, they literally threw that baby in the garbage. They threw the baby out. And, and if, there was no doubt that this old codger wasn't the genetic father of this child. If he picked him up, then he was his father. Fatherhood is always adoptive. You may engender a child, not be his father. Fatherhood is, is a relationship. And, and, uh, uh, there's so many men who engender a child and then don't bother to be present as the father of this child. And, that's the. Po- that's why we call God Father because He adopts us. He always chooses us. Uh, motherhood is necessary. You know who your mother is. Uh, she was there. Your father is not always so sure. Fatherhood is always a choice, and God always chooses us. So today, in a in a, in a funny way, is a feast of the fatherhood of Joseph, in which Joseph preferred Jesus. To five silver shekels. He would have been asked that question. You want the money or you want the kid? Okay, I want the kid. I want I want I want him. I want Jesus. I want my foster son. And that reflects the fatherhood of God, that He chooses us and He gave His only begotten Son. Joseph gave five shekels, and God gave His Son. It's, it's a breathtaking feast, and it's a feast of the fatherhood of God, the foster fatherhood of Joseph, and the absolute obedience of the Blessed Mother to what she knew God expected of her, be it the purification, which she did not need, or be it yielding up her son to his ministry and his death. Big feast day today, and we hardly celebrate it. So... Alright, that said, we're gonna, we're gonna go to letters, uh, but we're gonna go to a break first and we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We will be back. I'm, I'm really hoping we will be. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro life values, and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at Ave Father Simon says, You know, I think this is one of the traits
1: of a really good producer. Keep the talent happy. <laughs> on relevant radio.
0: Keep the talent happy. What talent? <laughs> I don't know. I think the trade of a really good producer is to make the, the talent look like talent. All right, moving along here. Let's go to letters. And, oh, don't. Ah, good. They didn't go away. The letters didn't go. Let me check computer A to make sure I don't have any letters there. Uh, no, I'm not going to check computer A. I'll just go to computer B, I think. Oh, um, I wanted to catch about something in today's, uh, you know, somebody's got to notice it because I grind this axe all the time and they've already noticed it in today's office of readings. Uh, the second reading is from a sermon by St. Sophronius, a bishop of I think he was Bishop of Constantinople. He was a big gun in the early church. He was one of the Patriarch. No, he was the Patriarch of Jerusalem. In six thirty-four, and in the reading today, he talks about the new Israel. We are the new Israel. So, see, I don't think you're getting my point. The new Israel—you will not. Fi- I've, I've looked and I've looked and I've looked. You will not find it in the New Testament. My point is, it's not a biblical phrase. Well, are you saying Saint Sophronius was wrong? No, I don't think so. In Spain, they had new Christians. Does that mean the old Christians were out of luck? No. In fact, it was the new Christians who were out of luck. They were much persecuted. So this idea of the new Israel, remember, St. Sophronius is talking about this around 600 A.D. That's, you know, six centuries after the fact. And what happened was in about 132 A.D., Jerusalem was definitively destroyed and we start seeing what some people call an anti-Semitism in the preaching of early Christians. In fact, as you look at Melodos Sardis, who's saying, don't celebrate the Jewish feasts. If he was talking to Greeks, they would be celebrating many. He was talking to people who still celebrated the old law. And what he's saying is, stop doing that. Because the church had to differentiate itself from Israel, because Israel uh, was constantly rebelling against the Roman state. In 132 A.D., there was the Bar Kokhba revolt, which was briefly successful. And in that point, you had to make the decision for Jesus or against Jesus because, uh, who was it? Rabbi Akiva believed that that this guy, Kosiba, who was called Bar Kokhba, son of the star, that he was the Messiah. And so you had to be in favor of one or the other. And if you were in favor of Jesus, you'd better get out of the territory that the rebels had conquered, that Bar Kokhba had taken over. They, they came very close to taking over Jerusalem. Well, then the Romans got their act together. They got troops down from Syria, and they wiped the floor with the, the rebels, the Judean rebels. From that point on, Jerusalem was a Roman city. Jews were forbidden to enter it. Uh, for centuries and the preaching of Christians. How did they talk about us being the Israel of God? Well, they said, we're the new Israel. It was a convenient political term. It's not a biblical phrase. It's true. We are new to Israel, but I say that because there's the big problem of replacement theology. Has God rejected Israel? And St. Paul says, of course not that, that, Israel is still Israel. However, we've been grafted into Israel. We claim to be Israel also, and uh, the Jews of today would say, "No, you're not." Well, we would say, "Yes, we are. We're 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 adopted into into Israel." So that's why I push that because uh, you know that the has the has the covenant with the Jews been been superseded? And I always point out. There is no covenant with the Jews. There's a covenant with Israel. There's a covenant with David. There's a covenant with Abraham. There's no covenant with the tribe of Judah. And the state of Israel is not the ingathering of Israel. It may be the ingathering of the tribe of Judah, and I don't know what God means by this, but we the church are the ingathering of Israel. Israel is scattered through the nations, and so the church in its Catholicism, in its universality, brings back in the scattered remnants of Israel, of 12 tribes, not just one. I know that may be a little complicated. Well, I've always heard that. Well, yeah, I've always heard. Yes, okay, fine. You know, or everybody knows. Everybody doesn't know. My point is I'm sort of nipping it in the bud. Where's the nipping it in the bud thing? I'm nipping it in the bud because people say, well, I was reading the Office of Readings, and clearly we're the new Israel. Yeah, according to St. Sophronius. My point is it ain't in the New Testament, and it ain't. All right, let's move along to letters. I do grind the same answers, boy. All right, let's see here. All right, this is from Abel. Great name. Your comments on last Monday's reading, especially when you said the staff in the sandals emphasized the importance of the mission, made me remember a true story I heard from a priest. The priest was appointed by the bishop to celebrate the Holy Mass in the local house of the Sisters of Charity, Mother Teresa's nuns. One day after Mass, one of the sisters asked the priest if he could give her a ride to the airport next day. She was moving to another house of charity. Next morning, after Mass, the sister appeared ready to go to the airport. The priest asked the sister for a luggage. Sister showed up with only a plastic bag. Its contents, a pair of sandals and one change of clothes. The white robes with blue straps they use daily. True story. <laughs> that That's great. That is great. A plastic bag that had a pair of sandals and a change of clothes. And the disciples <laughs> didn't even take a change of clothes. So there you go. Thanks for that story. That is a great story, Abel. Blessings. All right. Let's see here. Okay. All right. Okay, this is interesting. Uh, um, this is from Julie. I was one of those women who left the faith in 2005 after too many losses. I told God that I wouldn't be back. Well, the spirit of, the, of our creator made sure it wasn't going to stay that way. I had a visit from Gabriel, my angel, <laughs> and went through a major earthquake. Uh, uh, that after a number of visions, I... Uh, 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 that that then she she married and her new husband brought her back to the church. So uh, this is the mass is was always beautiful. I've always been in love uh, with the blessed mother when I was a teenager. So as you say, take it with a grain of salt. It's still new. Again, the Holy Spirit says for me to be patient. Thank you for the salt. Well, off to feed my birds in a sanctuary we built for them. This is Julie. You know. These are tough times in the church. Uh, there's there's a lot of confusion and there's what what amounts to real political division in the church. But ultimately, we need to remember the words of Scripture. What does God require of us to 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 live uh, justly and kindly and to walk humbly with our God? Uh, you know that that uh, more than ever, I think we need to cling to uh, the Bride of Christ because. She, uh, she has always managed to weather these storms, um, and I believe that we will weather this one. God is still God, and the beauty of the Catholic faith is undiminished by sinners like me. Uh, you know, that it, I guess I just want to say that the beauty of Catholicism is undiminished. The, the history of the communion of saints, the you know and that maybe this is a good time to mention that uh, the, the what, what is it the the, the saints are back uh, the the merry beggars have these wonderful uh, dramas uh, portraying the lives of the saints and you can look at the website for that but you know i always think of the lives of the saints as the third testament with the old testament the new testament and the communion of saints that how this has fleshed out for the past 2000 years we have an unbroken history of heroic christians and When you talk about the church, don't think about us guys in black collars or black shirts and plastic collars. Think of the communion of saints. We're just necessary servants of of this great lady, the church. And sometimes we do a decent job, sometimes we don't. But the communion of saints, if you want to get to know what the church is, I suggest the communion of saints and and the lives of the saints by the merry beggars. All right, let's go to another letter here. I don't know where that came from. It just did. All right. You know, have you ever heard the phrase, all the darkness in the universe cannot snuff out a single candle? Think about it. Today's candlemas, the, the light of the world, the feast of, of light. And uh, um, the, uh, you know, uh, all the darkness that there ever there was cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. All right, let's move along here. What am I doing here? Click. All right, then let's go to this one. All right, what time is it I should look? Okay, every first Friday of the month my pastor offers anointing of the sick at daily mass. Everyone in the church is invited to receive this, approaching the altar with our palms outstretched. Oil is placed on the foreheads in both palms. I've gone up for this once or twice, but I end up with oil dripping down the bridge of my nose and also in my hair, which I'm not terribly fond of when I have the whole day ahead of me. What do you think of the frequency of offering this? I grew up believing the sacrament was reserved for gravely ill or those about to undergo serious surgery. Is it okay to receive this sacrament every month? Then am I guilty of vanity not wanting to get oil all over me, or worse, guilty of refusing God's grace? Oh, this is from Marianne. Oh, Marianne, don't worry about it. Um, it is reserved for those who are seriously ill um, or about to undergo surgery, uh, which is a serious thing. Um, but the priest is leaving that to the judgment of the person who needs anointing. In some places it is thought of that if you're a senior citizen, you can get the anointing every month. And uh, a month is about the, the, the recommended frequency of it for someone who is ill. You can get a a re-up, but most people don't. Um, on the other hand, um, I don't think you're being vain, and I think the, the priest is probably a bit dramatic and likes to get oil all over this. I remember a, a priest who I knew was a real saint. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but the, the sanctuary was was um, wet, awash with water after he did baptisms. He, he poured buckets over people, especially if it was an adult baptism and uh, the marble in the sanctuary became quite slippery. In fact, I I didn't see it, but I remember the story of a woman who was, well, shall we say, quite statuesque. There was a lot of her who kind of, I think she managed to keep her balance, but she was doing what looked like a tap dance in in the marble of the sanctuary. So we, the clergy, kind of, sometimes get a little dramatic, and maybe we don't need to be that dramatic. Like incense. You meet the priest who really believes unless people should be taken from the church in respirators, there's not enough incense. My motto is I just love incense, but God has a very good sense of smell. A little goes a long way. So, you know, that, that's what I would say. The, the oil... Uh, come up with a, okay, if, you, if you feel you need to be anointed, you, you don't, unless you're seriously ill, you don't need to be anointed every month. So don't go up for it. it it's, um, uh, it's a prayer for healing of serious illness. Uh, <clears throat> but if you feel the need to go up uh, to be anointed, bring a washcloth and just wipe the schmear off. Well, isn't that sacred oil? When it has stopped being used for its sacramental purpose? It is. It, it can be simply discarded. That that consecration of something like consecration of the host is a permanent and, and change in its being, whereas blessing has to do with meaning. And when the meaning, uh, the use of the of the sacred object, such as a broken rosary, it can't be used as a rosary anymore. You can throw it out. The blessing is gone, because the blessing was about its use, and and we treat the sacramental oil with great respect as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, but when when you know that's like people with ashes on ash wednesday oh dear i i i, I can't wash my face because there's blessed ashes that wash your face it's in the bible all right i hope that helps a little marianne all that said we're going to go to a break and we will be back and i think have we got phone calls let me take a quick look uh, oh we could well click 88891491498889149149 Today we'd like to thank Vincent who's listening in California for donating his 1971 Chevy El Camino You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Keep on the sunny side of life. This is not an injunction to move to a tropical climate, I hope. It was sunny here yesterday. We had a day of sun. That's enough to get us through for a while. Uh, All right, let's go to the word of the day. And the word of the day is tome, which means unclean. It's in unclean, ringing of a bell, unclean. What is this cleanliness business, unclean? You know, that, that um, this idea of a woman being unclean? That's just insulting. No, 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 no. This has nothing to do with hygienic cleanliness. I'm going to take a stab at explaining ritual uncleanness, and we still indulge in this belief in the modern world. You like steak? I like steak. No problem I'm going buying a steak. Now some people are gonna disagree with me, they'll think steak is gross, but those people are strange. <laughs> I don't mean it. I respect vegetarian. You know, in a sense, I too am a vegetarian. I only eat vegetables, but some of them have been processed through a cow. Moving along. Uh the the this idea a steak. You take a steak out of the package, you put it on the fire. It smells wonderful and Dinner, you know, depending on how rare you like it, dinner is soon. A dead body. You go to a wake, and there is Uncle Leon laid out in a suit that he never wore while he was alive. And most people are pretty hinky about even going up and touching Leon. I mean, it's just, uh, you certainly... Well, the steak is a dead cow. Uncle Leon has been embalmed and is all washed up and dressed better than he's ever been dressed. There's nothing, no problem touching Uncle Leon. It's gross. You Do you understand what unclean means? That there is no difference between the steak in the package, which you take out and fry and have no problem touching and then eating. I don't think they're going to chow down on Uncle Leon you better not it's against the law uncleanness i i would say the best way that we can understand ritual uncleanness is something that causes fear death is fearful blood is fearful when a person is bleeding uh, um this is this is frightening that that they're in danger of death um then uh, a woman giving, giving birth, uh, women are amazing. That I don't mean to be gross, but they bleed and then bounce back. Um, uh, you know, there's a reason that men faint in the delivery room. This uh, <laughs> is a frightening thing. So it's unclean, something that reminds us of the overwhelming power of God and our powerlessness in the face of illness, illness, or or um death or or a manifestation of god's presence you know that that uh, um moses he 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 uh um is told take off your shoes for this is holy ground that that in a sense god in the vision of the burning bushes pointing out to moses his uncleanness uh this is an unclean event so it has nothing to do with ritual uh with hygiene um and, and I think a lot of people, even Jewish people I've known, kind of confuse you with hygiene. You know, well, you know, pigs are dirty. No, they're not. They're no dirtier than chickens. Chickens are filthy. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have met chickens and I have met pigs. And pigs would prefer to be clean if they could. So uh, um, it has nothing to do with hygiene and, and, and uh, soap and water it has everything to do with the fearsome power of certain human experiences that remind us of our limitations and of god's omnipotence so that's taken my stab at unclean so it is when when the scripture says a woman is unclean it's really referring to the amazing power of women to give life at least that's how i read it all right let's go to phone calls
1: don't you ask me a little
0: easy question? Will you answer it? A tiny one. A tiny one. Gideon, ask me an easy question. Gideon from Lexington. What can I do for you, Gideon? Hello. So I'm taking a class called Public
1: Speaking and Truth Seeking mm-hmm. at a Christian Homeschool yes. Co op. And mm-hmm. the question for my upcoming speech will be, Is Jesus intolerant? And I'd just like to hear your thoughts on how I should answer this question in my speech.
0: Of course not. Uh, he was not intolerant at all. Um, you can, you can. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to grind my axe again, Gideon. Sorry about that. But in the speech, in the in the story of the of the Syrophoenician woman, uh, who came and said to him, "Please, my daughter uh, is possessed by a demon. Uh, cast that demon out, please." And he says, "It is not fitting to give the bread of the children to the dogs." You remember that story? Yeah. Well, he doesn't say that it is mistranslated. The word dog never appears in the passage. There's a current theologian who is kind of, well, shall we say a lot more progressive than I am, but who isn't? Um, the uh, um, this this guy says, well, this syro woman taught Jesus how not to be a racist. That's utterly ridiculous. Jesus was p- completely human, but it was the humanity of Adam before the fall. The word dog never appears in the Greek text of scripture. The word is "kunarion," puppy. That's totally different. If he says, sir, well, it's not fitting to take the bread of the children and give it to the puppies. He's calling her a puppy. Can you say the word puppy without smiling a little bit? Impossible. This was a kind of repartee. She expected him being a Jewish rabbi and she being a Greek woman, she expected to be kicked to the curb. And Jesus didn't do that. He said, your faith has saved you. Because she said, even the bread of the children, uh, or falls from the table, goes to the puppies. Uh, I, I look at this and I see them smiling as they're saying this. And Jesus said, your faith is great. Your trust is great. Remember, the word faith really means trust in Greek. So that example is a mistranslation of, of the text of Scripture. Jesus was not intolerant. He was honest. Does that make sense? Yes. Does that help a little bit?
1: Yes, but would you say he was intolerant of like certain things such as like sin and wickedness?
0: If he was intolerant of them, he wouldn't have gone to the cross to die for them. He died for sinners. Uh, The scripture is clear on that. So that's not intolerance. That's honesty. He called them sinners and then gave, gave his life for them. That's not intolerance. Okay. Does that help? yes good good hang in there you sound like you're learning stuff this is great you know when people are homeschooled i always say the only problem with homeschooling is you have no no defense against the stupidity of the of the modern world and just remember that that homeschooling is not it doesn't make you better than other people just more privileged and you have a responsibility to 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 be a light in the world instead of just saying, boy, are people dumb. So that's my sermon for homeschool people. I think homeschooling is great. It's just, uh, you know, it, it's it's preserving the culture. So good luck with that, Gideon. Remember, your great responsibility hasn't been given so much. All right? Sorry to preach a sermon right. at you, but yeah, it's what I do. God bless. Thanks for calling. I'm honored that you listen, Gideon. Let's go to Jimmy from Atlanta, Georgia. What can I do for you, Jimmy? Father. Hi, Father. Hello.
1: I've had this explained to me once before, but I need more clarification on the: What is it we believe in the the communion of saints? Is it that, that the saints get together in heaven and and talk and about us, or I don't know how to put that so I understand it. The
0: mechanics. Of- easy, easy, easy. The word the word communion. You see the word union in there. That means union, but the C O M in front people translate it as with, but really it's an intensifier in Latin. So what it means is intense oneness. And the communion of saints includes the saints who are in heaven, the souls in purgatory and us. There's an intense oneness with everyone who is in a state of grace. That's what it means. It isn't just the saints in glory. It's, it's the saints who are struggling on earth. We talk about the church, uh, The Church militant, which is us, we're struggling. The Church penitent, which is the souls in purgatory, they are finishing off their repentance, and then the Church triumphant, the ones who have made it fully. So we're all in this together. the The communion of saints refers to the entire communion of people. It isn't, you know, like communion the 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 sacrament. Uh, Communion it's the the intense union of of. Of all those who are in a state of sanctifying grace and you can count on the prayers and the example and the teachings of the communion of saints does that answer your question jimmy Yes, i'm more clear on it now than before thank you so much Father. good 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 all right thanks and i'm honored that you listen god bless thanks for calling in let's go to craig from oh. phoenix craig how can i help you all right Hi, Father. I, I just wanted to uh, share a thought with you. Um, the presentation is uh, sounds like it's a, a coronation of St. Joseph. Uh, he has people, we call him foster father, but that's really an inadequate title. He's actually a greater father than any biological father, and our Heavenly Father coronated him, so to speak, as a father, and the greatest father that's ever lived and ever
1: will live. I just want, want to know what you think about that.
0: You know, I think it's a very beautiful thought that that you know, when I learned about the five silver shekels, I think that's what it cost that, that that Joseph would have been asked, "Do you want the money or do you want the baby? And Joseph said, the baby. and And he chose fatherhood at that moment. He went along with things, He trusted God in 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 his his taking care of the Blessed mother. But he, I think you have a point. He really stated you know, I assume that, that the little ceremony that's done with this buying back of the firstborn, in which you're asked, Do you want do you want the child? You're formally asked do you want the child? That that would have been his saying yes, it would have been the equivalent of a Roman man picking a child up off the floor and saying, This is mine. Joseph said, This is mine. This is I this is a I think a way to look at this. I think you're right. It is the feast of the fatherhood of Saint Joseph. Uh, and and um I think that that's a powerful thing. So interesting. Well, thanks for the question, Craig. And it's a good insight—or not the question, but the insight. Thanks so much. God bless, and I'm honored that yes, you listen. God bless. Okay, bye. God bless. Let's go to John from uh, from uh, Pacifica in California. Hello, Father. Hello, hello. This is my first time call, but I'm a long time listener. My question is related well, to the you. five shackles. Uh, my confusion is: Does the five shekels apply to all the males born to that mother, or only the firstborn? And what if the, firstborn, the firstborn child is a girl? Uh, the, the firstborn son. Only, firstborn only the
1: firstborn. Even if yeah, the I, firstborn I, child I, was yes. a daughter.
0: Yes, there is. Uh, 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 there's a little bit of a change. Hold on, let me look this up here. That that there is such a thing as um, oh good grief no they <laughs> I just typed it in uh, but there is I think occasionally uh, a tendency to to uh, um, uh, let me pull this up pidyon habat okay well pidyon habat in the Reform Judaism they do have a a ceremony for the buying back of the firstborn, whether it's a son or a daughter, but the biblical thing is only the firstborn son. and if there's if uh, if the firstborn is a miscarriage, then that second son is considered the firstborn. So um, uh, you know it's just the firstborn son because uh, it was uh, the firstborn son was expected to have priestly responsibilities, but he uh, they lost them. Does that answer the question? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. Truly enjoy your program. Well, I enjoy my program too because I got to learn stuff, which is always good. <laughs> Thanks for calling in. You. Thank you. Oh, I'm I'm learning because of you. Thanks, John. Let's go to Chrissy right. from Chesterton, Maryland. What can I do for you?
1: Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a long time listener and a few times caller. Well, um, I've go. learned a lot from so my question today has to do with relics, okay? Mm-hmm, yes. I know there's several classes. The first class is directly, and, and and this is where I'm kind of confused, and so would second and third class. So if you could yes. um, enlighten me.
0: Well, the, as you're right, first class, well, as you know, first class relics uh, are... Uh, Directly pieces uh, of of, this, uh, of the the saint in question. It is this really does kind of uh, uh, make people nervous. Um, that that um, why do we have relics at all? Because we believe the body is sacred. Uh, that that um, the early Christians uh, honored the remains of the saints, and uh, um, so we do too. Uh, let me see. let me pull up. I want to get this just so I don't make it up. Uh, um, hold on first. first class relics, uh, I'm pretty sure I can answer that without looking it up. Uh, uh, they uh, they come from uh, a, a body part of a saint, bone, blood, flesh, um, and second class relics are possession that a saint owned. And the third class relics, are objects that have been touched to a first or second class relic or the saint himself touched. That's that's kind of the definition of it. Does that help?
1: It, it does, because um I'm going tomorrow to uh, where the relics of St. Jude are going to be exposed. Mm-hmm. And ah. um, I've been told to bring items that I would like to touch to the relic. And sure. some say it's a second class, but I read it was a third class, so I just wanted to
0: hear yeah. from no that would be a third right class relic something yeah that would be a third oh. class relic uh, something okay. uh, something that's touched to the to the uh, you know a second class relic would be something that that uh, um, was used regularly by the saint um, as I understand it so those would be something touched to a first or second class relic is is um, a third class relic okay i'm i'm as you can tell i'm hesitating because i'm i'm looking at different sources and they're all kind of obscure here we go first class relics second class relics a second class relic differs from the first class in that they are possessions or tools that were owned and a third class relic say that again the voice in my head I think second class relic would be like a piece of clothing, right, or like a, a... piece of their clothing. Yeah, yeah. But third class relics are, are um, uh, something that was in contact with the remains of the saint, pressed against a tomb or a reliquary. Uh, in other words, a first class relic. They they're touched to a first class relic or a second. So I hope that helps.
1: Uh, good Absolutely. grief. Absolutely. I just wanted to make sure that this, my sure. rosary deeds will be a third class
0: relic. And they'll not be third class then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll be okay. third class. You're right. Thank you so much. Problems that would cross the rabbi's eyes. So a special shout out and a thanks to Rabbi Lazowski who uh, <laughs> who uh, got me through the 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 ceremonies of buying back the firstborn. And I uh, uh, It'll take me a while to recover from this show. But I can do it by listening to Drew, who will refresh us all and pray with us, which is a wonderful thing.